Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Adam Barta. Adam is a member of the Hammer staff. You can check Adam out on Facebook. Barta Nation is Adam's Facebook page. Over 4,400 Followers on Facebook, their friends, Adam, and also uh, check them out there at the top of the leaderboard right now at the USBC Open in El Paso. Team NABR leading with a very big and uh, very stout 33-68. Adam Timberg here. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, Adam, your team NABR took over the lead at the USBC Open Championships in El Paso. You've had a little bit of time now. You guys bowled uh, you know, a couple weeks back. You've been able to come home. Uh, talk about what you're feeling like now after is it finally starting to sink in that, that you're the leader after you know probably about 60 days into the tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a good feeling to be you know, the leader in the clubhouse and kind of you know, put that pressure on, you know, push that number, put that pressure on somebody else. And obviously the higher the number, the more people would press to, to get to it. But, I mean, this year, just, you know, with, with the team that we have, uh, this was our third year together, and you know, we've always been great friends, but it's it's finally seems like it's finally settling in where, you know, we, we've all bowled together enough, you know, that we're, we're gelling together as a team, which is very important in an event like that is, is working together, not only with just the guys you have on your team, but, you know, your companion team. But, um, you know, Looking back on it, I mean, yeah, we left some wood out there, but I'm sure any team could say that with any number that they shot. But um, you know, now it's just a waiting game. It's it's a it's a nervous but yet fun waiting game. You know, in that um, you know you're always checking Facebook and Bowl.com to you know because I'm sure if anybody beats it, it'll spread through social media immediately. So you know, you kind of just check your Facebook, and when you're on it, you know, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get tagged if it happens to get beat and things like that. But uh, 
no, I mean, it's a, it's a great feeling. And, and if it happens, it's a huge accomplishment. I mean, um, everybody on the team, you know, Mike Rose has an eagle already, but uh, none, none of the rest of the guys do. And, it, you know, just that feeling of being an eagle holder and winner, um, you know, is a big sense of accomplishment on any of the, you know, the other resumes that we have. I mean, it's, it's, it's the apex of accomplishments as far as bowling is concerned uh, to win an eagle. So, so we'll Mike, see. one of the things that I caught during the live stream that caught my attention was they mentioned that you guys did the showcase lanes twice. So you could bowl on it fresh and then bowl on it the second squad when it was carried down. Talk about the strategy. I mean, obviously the strategy is to see how the lanes play later in the night. But, you know, why don't more teams do that? Was that something you guys just, is this the first year you guys have done that? Or has that always been part of your, your preparation for the event? Yeah, I mean, the, the preparation, It's well, what we actually did was we got two hours. We got two lanes for two hours. And, you know, um, the only way that you're actually going to see the, the true transition in the lane and in 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 just getting that sense of okay guys it's been a year since we've had all ten us ten of us here it's just you know getting back in that feeling getting back in that groove everybody talking about ball surfaces what balls they're going to use getting on the same page but what we did is just like as if we were bowling the team event we all you know had our game plan and we'll, you know where we're going to throw the balls during practice you know gravitate to the right whatever balls they were using. And, you know, after that, after you know, we had a stop clock, after 10 minutes, we put our lineups in and we bowled normal in the normal transition of the lane and that, you know, you're going to shoot your spares, you know, you're going to, you know, just try your best as if you're bowling the main event and just, you know, see where it goes. And then, um, you know, with about 15 minutes left after about an hour and 45 minutes when the, when the transition was there and the lane was broken down properly, then... You know, we tried it. We tried different balls. You know, just here and there, seeing the different ball reactions once the lane was broke down. But um, yeah, the strategy was just as if it was the main team event, and that's the only way you're really going to get a true transition and an idea of how the lane is going to break down is simulating it as if you're bowling the main event. Shoot your spares because the oil is going to move when you're shooting spares. The surface of the bowling ball you're going to throw. You know, just it's. That was the strategy going in. That's what we've done the last couple of years. Um, you know, and for the minimal amount that it costs to do it, you know, you'd be crazy not to do it that way. But, um, you know, not everybody does it. And I, you know, when we were bowling the bowlers journal, I would look over and see some guys, you know, they're just lined up on one lane and just throwing their first balls and, you know, not shooting any spares, just rapid fire balls for an hour straight, which is fine, you know, but you're, you know, you're really not going to get the true, idea of how the lane is going to break down and transition by doing it that way. That's just my opinion. But, you know, if you want to simulate how it's going to break down, you should simulate how you're actually going to bowl the main event. So that's what we did. And, you know, and it, and it played very, very close to um, the way the actual lanes ended up playing out. So, I mean, it is worth it in that sense that, you know, the pattern that's out there is the pattern you're really bowling on. So, Well, and I even heard that people had some issues making some spares just because of the way the back ends played out there. So it's always good to shoot your spares so you can get lined up on the, on your spares as well, because the lanes, you know, I think it was, um, I was talking to Mike Senek and he was telling me how he got tripped up on one combination that he always, you know, he shoots one way back in Fort, you know, at Fort Meade. And then he came out there and he missed it a few times until he actually got, you know, re 
relined up on, on the spare ball. So that probably helped you guys as well to know what you had to do on your spares when you got out there on the main stage. Oh, absolutely. I mean, only in that, and that's a function of the back end, you know, because the back ends to start are, are so dry because they're, you know, they're freshly stripped in that, yeah, if you're not throwing hard and straight at your spares, you know, and you're trying to hook at a certain spare, and you're not going to, you know, you may want to shoot a couple, you know, a couple spares to kind of get a, a true sense of what, you know, what kind of what you got going on there. So a lot of us throw um, hard and straight at our spares anyway. You know, so we really didn't see too big of a difference, but we did it for more of the sense of, you know, just the traffic on the lane, you know, going cross lane and things like that to to get a true idea of how the lane would break down. You went 10.57, 11.23, 11.88. In years past, yep. especially last year it was, where if you didn't shoot a big number, I mean, there was no chance you're, you're catching that 3,700. Is there a number out there this year, and obviously it has to be the way the, lane, the guys are playing the lanes because you don't want to start out with your big game and then go the opposite direction, but is there a, a group or is there a number that if you watch and then you, you find out or you hear they're playing the lanes properly that you're going to say, oh, boy, we might want to be paying attention to social media because this is, you know, this is this is going to get kind of towards the end, or this is going to be a, a trick. Um, in in a way, yeah. I mean, there there are tons of strong teams that go through there, and you know, if if someone does have a first game, a first big game, I mean, obviously, yeah, you're going to start paying closer attention to it. But um, the more important thing is where are they playing the lanes to get that number. You know, so if, if they've gravitated themselves into, you know, what what we would call the sweet spot, which is that, you know, that 9 to 12 area on the lane, you know, if that's where they gravitated towards for the first game and they're all camped out there, then later on, you know, because there's so much friction in the middle part of that lane that, that I don't think that that's, that's going to hold up long enough to where, you know, you're going to continue with those big numbers because, um you know what we what we found out was that your angles had to be so had had to be later had to be so steep through the front, but you didn't want them to be too steep through the back either. So, you know, if you're creating a lot of angle through the front part of the lane, and then trying to create it in the back part of the lane, your carry's not going to be very good. Great stuff. So when you were also in El Paso, you got to throw out the first pitch, uh, and that was kind of based on the fact that you were the, you know, you set the Guinness World Record for most pins knocked down in an hour. So first off, what was it like? Which were you more nervous? Uh, bowling this the, at the stadium, you know, for, for the what you're going for at the end of the 10th frame when you knew you kind of needed, you know, you needed all you could get to take the lead or throwing out the first pitch in front of what was probably, you know, ten to 15,000 people? Um, I would say, you know, I wasn't overly nervous on either of them, but it would be more nervous in the, in the setting of the team event, knowing, you know, knowing that we were so close and that, you know, all you could do is just try and throw the best shot that you can. And, you know, hopefully they all fall with, you know, and, and by the grace of God that, you know, Brian Wallacek, Mike Rose and, and Rob Gotch will get up there and deliver doubles, you know, in the tent to get to that point. But, um, yeah, both experiences were, you know, something you'll never forget. Um, you know, it would have been easily more forgotten if, if we weren't able to get to the lead and, you know, um, but, you know, through getting the, getting throughout the first pitch and meeting some of the players out there, you know, with, for the triple A, the, the El Paso Chihuahuas, you know, that, that is something that you'll truly never forget. And, you know, just the experience and, you know, in doing that and, um, you know, it was, it was just really cool, but I was, 
I was more nervous on, you know, trying to give the catcher a heads up to say, hey, if I try and throw this thing soft, you know, I might bounce it into you. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to throw it, you know, pretty hard. And he's like, hey, do whatever you need to do. So, you know, I threw it in there pretty fast. And he was, you know, kind of kind of surprised by it. He didn't have a catcher's mitt. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and I told him afterwards, I got, you know, I'm sorry. But he goes, no, no, buddy, it was cool. But, um, that, that was just a great experience. And just being able to, you know, socialize with some of the players before the game and that, it's just, and for Matt Cannonzaro and Aaron Smith to, to even provide that opportunity is, you know, amazing. You know, they, they were trying to cross-promote each other, given that the, the venues are so close. They're right, basically right next to each other. And that, you know, they the bowling was being promoted through the through the baseball stadium and that, you know, a lot of the bowlers were going to catch a game during their time there. And they were trying to promote, you know, get some of the baseball players and just the atmosphere and the spectators from the bowling center, from the from the baseball, over to experience what the bowling center's like, and just the tournament itself to maybe try and you know recruit some bowlers for for the future. And Adam, I need you to hold that thought coming up now as a check in with bowling this month's Bill Semsrot. Hello, everyone. I've got three great new bowling this month articles I'd like to highlight this time. First, we've got USBC Gold coach Joe Slowinski with an article detailing the anatomy of the hand and how you can utilize his new fitting technique to achieve a more natural grip that can help reduce tension and pressure. Next, we've got a new article from Dr. Chris Masano exploring the topic of gamesmanship and how you can make sure you're not a victim in your next head-to-head match. And finally, we've got an article from Heather DiErico about the importance of post-workout recovery and how you can balance your bowling training and your fitness training without overdoing it. For all this and more, please visit BowlingThisMonth.com, where you can sign up for a no-obligation free trial. Back to you, Tim. Great stuff, Bill. Again, check out BowlingThisMonth.com for all those articles and more. So, Adam, you've been a part of Hammer, part of Ebonite International for now 15 years. Talk about what your relationship is like with them, because for someone to stay with a certain company and brand for that many years, there has to be something there, and there has to be just you know some real, real special you know sort of feelings toward them and. and towards the hammer equipment yeah i mean no doubt um you know i'm i'm a very loyal person but i can tell you that that the hammer fan and just the evanite family itself you know they they treat me like i'm you know and i and i consider them the same just like their family i mean i'm loyal to them and they are very loyal to me and you know they give you no reason whatsoever to have that sense of, okay, well, you know, I need to move on to bigger, better things, and then, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. I've, I've never had that sense with them, and that, you know, anything that I've wanted, you know, as far as maybe bigger opportunity, bigger exposure, you know, not even from the sense of being a, a staff player of wanting products, because um, I'm not one to throw many balls, but just of the sense of, you know, not that you always need that pat on the back or, you know, good job, good job all the time. It's just they are 100% supportive of everything that you do, all of your ideas. Um, and that, you know, when, when wanting to be a bigger part of the brand, they embrace that and, you know, listen to some of the ideas that I had and, you know, just over the last few years to, you know, to be a part of the hammer video team and, and to create the fan page and then for them to provide some product, you know, for various contests. And then, you know, the, the local things that I do as far as like um, marketing ideas to, 
to build up sponsorship and to build up, you know, sales in the, in just in the geographical area that I'm in, um, you know, they've embraced all that and they're totally on board and, you know, you, you just couldn't ask for a better company to be with and to work for, for sure. So over the 15 years, what's, what's probably your, your favorite ball that you have? Oh man, that, that's pretty easy for me. It's, it's the, the hammer sting and it's, um, that ball is just, you know, just like anybody would have an old reliable, you know, bowling ball that, that they would have always gone to, but, um, you know, they're not, you know, hammer obviously wants you to throw the, the newer stuff and things like that, but, you know, there have been times in tournaments where I'm like, okay, well, I know a perfect ball that I could be throwing right now and, you know, I'll go to it, you know, cause you're, you know, you want to win too at the same time. So, um, yeah, that's always been my ball to, to go to for sure is, is the, the sting. Perfect. Great stuff, Adam. Thought I'd catch up with you for just a few minutes, kind of talk about your USBC, talk about some of the other things. Final question before we go. The Guinness uh, Book of World Records, we talked a little bit about it earlier, The um, setting the record for the uh, most pinfalls in an, in an hour by an individual. Talk about that and, and just why. Well, um, initially, the, the reason why I did the, the, the attempt was that it was actually through social media, through Facebook. I was tagged on a post where George Ferlingo said, um, you know, did a YouTube video for Storm and that, you know, made it public through Facebook. And then, you know, a few of my friends here and there were, you know, kept tagging me in it. And they're like, Adam, you know, you got this, you know, you could do this. And, you know, he's calling you out, this and that. And I'm like, you know, as I'm looking at the record, I'm like, okay, this guy just threw bowling balls for a straight hour, you know, without stopping, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, there's other records I'd probably like to try and this wouldn't be one of them, you know, but as, as time went on and, and Craig Elliott through Michigan board TV, um, you know, he was going to live stream an event in, in Wycliffe, Ohio, the TNBA Reed Hawthorne, which is the TNBA's biggest scratch event that he was going to be there and, you know, he wanted to set it up to, to do it right around that time. And, you know, he's like, Adam, let's, let's do it. We could do live stream. You know, we got this. And, and as more and more people embraced it and as, you know, Hammer came on board, uh, Access Sportswear, you know, Craig Elliott was doing some designs for shirts. Access Sportswear provided basically their cost for the shirts. And then Lori um, Raz with, with Turbo Grips, threw a whole bunch of product in to basically support the event and help, you know, raise the money. So Craig's like, well, with all this money being raised and, and or this product being thrown out there, what do you want to do with it? And I said, well, you know, I, st- I started this thing last year where basically Barter Nation Family Foundation, where in honor of my father who had passed away on Christmas Eve uh, a few years back of, of cancer, um, delivering a message of hope to families that were in need financially and, and also not not so much in need of financial help, but in need of a personal delivery of a message of hope. And, and I was able to do that with seven families out of my own pocket last year in honor of my, in honor of my father, where I, I personally delivered hands and, and cash to these families that, that needed it. But at the same time, I was able to walk in there and deliver the message of hope and that, you know, Every day that you can hang on, every day that you fight is one more day that you have a chance to live, and maybe there will be a cure for tomorrow. And, and beating the odds was kind of the theme that I that I embraced with this whole thing was that 
my father was able to beat the odds because when he was first diagnosed in September of 2010, they gave him two weeks to live. And, he, you know, we'd sat in the hospital for days and, you know, every doctor is, why'd you wait, Pete? Why'd you wait, Pete? And I'm like, listen, who cares? He waited. There's nothing we can do about it. Let's look going forward and see what we can do. Well, then the doctor goes, well, okay, you know, two weeks, two and a half weeks he has to live. And at that time, I wasn't married, and he didn't have any grandchildren of his own. You know, and he obviously he was upset at the situation. And, and I said, Dad, who cares what these doctors say? Everybody is different. Of course, they're educated, and you know, but we have hope. You have me. We have the family. You've got us kids, and you know, Marcy, and, and you know, we're we're behind you 100. percent Fight, hope, and fight. Well, that two and a half weeks turned into two and a half years. He got to see me get married. He got to see the birth of uh, Blake, uh, which is my two-year-old son, or going to be three on the 4th of July. But, you know, in, in, in to see him in, in, in the expressions and, and the emotion that he hung on for that, you know, hang, hanging on to see the marriage and hanging on to see the kids, it was just, obviously it was overwhelming, but... The, the personal message I was delivering to these families was that exactly what my dad did. My dad was given two weeks. He beat the odds. Why can't you? And I, and I took the same theory in that taking that record and taking the challenge on. I mean, I'm not in the best shape in the world, but I can tell you what, I've got a lot of determination and a lot of heart. And that's, that's why I did it. I did it in honor of my father and in honor of, being able to raise money for this charity and that I can take that money and go help out all these families. So I had that sense of in that, and I didn't want to let anybody down. There were, you know, a couple hundred people there on site with my family. And I'm like, Adam, you know, you're not going to get in marathon shape in a couple months. So let's come up with a strategy where I can, you know, develop an approach and, you know, where I can rest my body. And I, you know, through that thing, I was sitting on the ball return at a two or three step approach. And, but that's basically where, where it ended up in that um, I, I was able to last the hour. You know, I wasn't in the best shape, but I thought that I, I was pretty creative in, in coming up with an approach that allowed me to throw 163 strikes and, you know, 291 shots. And, you know, in all of my practice sessions, I wasn't even close to beating the record. So, it was a little discouraging and not until the Tuesday before the record was I, that I beat it. You know, I beat it by a little bit and I was so excited. I had called Marcy, I called, you know, Pete and my family. And I'm like, you know, guys, I did it. I beat it, you know? And then just to get to that venue on, on that Sunday, um, after the TNBA Hawthorne, I, you know, just got done bowling the tournament, you know, 20 or 30 games over the weekend, whatever it was. And, and it was funny because I, I finished second and go right over to the pair, and then they're going to, you know, do this production in 15 minutes. And it was funny because the lady goes, you know, Adam, is there anything that I can get you? I'm like, yeah, how about a nap? You know, because I was exhausted from the weekend. But, um, you know, just in the back of my mind, it, you know, it, it started building up. And then after, like, 10 minutes into it, my, it was pure adrenaline. And, you know, to beat the record by 570-some pins, it was just like an out-of-body experience. But, you know, that that experience is, is, is awesome, but more importantly to raise, I think we raised $4,500 in total, you know, for families that I can help out this year is, you know, that's what it's all about. So. 
Great stuff, Adam. Again, Adam Barta joining us, a leadoff member of the current leaders at the USBC Open Championships in El Paso, Team NABR. Adam Barta joining us today. Thanks again for taking some time, and uh, all the best of luck, Adam. Thank you very much for having me, and take care. Best of luck.